In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. It's been a big day with lots of brown news, and I'm here with Jack Duffin and Ian Wright. Jack, how you feeling, buddy? It's good. It's it's all uh, in Joku's back. Um, it always seemed the most likely route, and uh, we finally got confirmation today. We've got another day before the deadline ends, um, and he's got until the 15th of July to sign. But we'll get on to something interesting that I've heard, but we'll jump in and bring in the man Ian Wright, right, right. Just while we're waiting for it. Oh, Ian's in the room. Sorry. Ian. What's going on, gentlemen? I'm here in the rainy, overcast uh, state of Pennsylvania. We did a little cross-country voyage. Uh, I will say I did set a record today. I joined my first Twitter space for about three minutes. And as soon as I jumped on, the first person's voice I heard was Jack Duffin. So, Jack, I just can't get away from you, brother. Uh, it's, It's true, love. It's... Is Twitter space a good place to go or not? Twitter spaces are great. And the lads over at um, Feeling Dangerous podcast, their, their space is good. Some of them you go into descend really quickly into just bitching uh, about Baker Mayfield. And then I quickly leave those. So as long as they stay away from the quarterback discussion, Twitter spaces for the Browns are generally really good. Do you think there's a future with Paul running a Twitter space? Oh, Yeah. Let's have some chaos. He'd love it. He loved his old clubhouse. All right, let's let's do a uh, Twitter space. Is that what it's called? Twitter space? Yep. That's the one. I, I, Paul, you're with me. I don't know, but we'll figure it out. Because I will say, the one I was in, it was well-moderated, not a lot of multiple people talking at once, which is kind of what I feared, that it was just going to be to Jack's point. But pose a question, hear group think thoughts, you know, Jack comes in and pops everyone's balloons like he does on Twitter. So it's pretty much all the same, but you get to hear people's voices live. Uh, you know, our boy Owen was in one as well. So good times. Anyway, less of Twitter, more about the Browns. Didn't I call Njoko to be franchise tag just out of curiosity? Maybe. Everyone's oh. pretty much been on Njoku to be tagged. So I, th- I think it was sort of where we were heading. The one interesting part is, I think it was Tom Palacero um, tweeted that there's an offer on the table for 13 million a year, um, which is just up on sort of the floor of the 12 and a half, which we've been talking about because of Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith. Um, I think the real question comes down to what is that 13 million a year average? Is it sort of the first two years guaranteed? Um, 27.5 million say because if it is Njoku should 100% sign that deal Um, I thought the Browns would tag him wouldn't really push for a genuine contract um, and they would just allow him to do a year and prove he can be tight end one before signing him up because he's so young there's no rush on it Um, but no it looks like they're making a genuine play and I think a deal will get done before the 15th of July and that's the deadline for extending a uh, 
franchise tagged player. In, in saying that, Jack, any idea why they would have used the transition tag or wouldn't have used the transition tag and not the franchise tag in that case? So I can only think that they're scared his market might be a bit higher or what the Browns tend to really backload deals. Um, so whenever they sign someone's deal, they push as much money into the future as possible by using signing an option bonus. So they could be scared that someone would do a front-loaded deal and if the Browns are moving on from Hooper and other guys, that could really screw up the Browns. Um, so I think that might be the only reason um, why they didn't use transition, just because they're scared of someone structuring, structuring a deal, a deal. causes them issues. It wouldn't rule anything out, but it might make, say, signing a clowny really, really hard if you have to put $20 million, um, a year into that first year. So they could have done, other teams could have done stuff to stop the Browns. So they weren't willing to risk it for a measly million dollars that they're going to end up probably giving them in a contract anyways. Yeah, if they're really committed to signing a contract, then just slap the franchise tag on and get it done. Because I don't think they're the sort of team that are going to hardball in negotiation, offering crap terms of say, hey, it's only going to be 20 million guaranteed in the first two years. Yeah, the contract says 13, but it's then like option years, 16 million on the back end that you're never going to get. Um, the Browns always tend to be quite player friendly with their deals, um, less years, more upfront money. So, uh, yeah, I, I think everything's pointing towards the deal will get done. Um, anything else on him before I touch on Hooper next? Because that's the person. Well, that that, I was. Real quick, I will say this, Paul, you were talking about things you called. So I was going back listening to some of our positional room breakdowns. And of the three of us, you were the only one that called the Rams and the Bengals Super Bowl. When I heard that live, you said Rams, Bengals. I had it 0 for 2 because I said Chiefs and 49ers. And I believe, Jack, you also had either Chiefs, Rams or Chiefs, Niners. So, Paul, you were the only one in here that nailed the Super Bowl. Congratulations. Look. I'm not surprised I normally get things correct. So uh, let's move on. Now, Jack, to your point about Austin Hooper, a lot of people now think that just because David Njoku got the tag means that Austin Hooper should start packing his bags. I'm not of the belief that those two moves are correlated. So what is your prediction for what the future holds for Austin Hooper? If I'm Austin Hooper, I do have the bags packed, but I'm not loading them into a car just yet. So... The reason why is I don't think the Browns wide receiver free agent market is going to be as bad as some people fear, but there's no reason for the Browns to print that and do anything crazy at this point. So almost I would keep Hooper just for another week or so as insurance so they can go out and when they sign their first free agent wide receiver, that's the moment where I think they can just let Hooper um, go because if if people are right and all of these guys that want five million plus not interested at all coming to the Browns, which I don't think is the case, but hey, you never know, then you keep Hooper for another year. It's it's not difficult of that. Hey, pay him nine and a half million, and if you're getting nothing from wide receivers, then we'll play even more two tight ends. So yeah, I, I think you. You keep him there. And there, there is the crazy case that they could get a fifth or a sixth and someone goes, hey, 
nine and a half million, zero guarantees in the deal. I don't mind that for my tight end. Um, that a team could potentially offer, say, a sixth. Um, it wouldn't be a conditional one that would drop down to nothing because the Browns would be taking extra dead cap um, during the 2022 season by doing a trade. I think they'd want a fifth or a sixth. Um, but it's certainly something I wouldn't rule out. But I think a cut, June 1st cut is most likely, but a week and a half's time. Here's a question. It's, it's uh, just a covering all bases, this question. Is there a possibility that the Browns can do something with his contract that turns some maybe of those void years into some years where you move the current money that's owed, where it's kind of clear now at $10 million, you're saying David Njoku is our tight end one. He's owed what, $12 million if we keep him or something like that for this year. I forget what the number is, $11 million. So could they take what they owe him in this last really kind of full year of his contract and maybe space the money out over two years? Is there anything they can do to, we'll call it rework or restructure the deal that would make his place in Cleveland a little bit more firm? They, they could load even more money into that um, signing bonus Um but then that's just causing a bigger problem next year because if they keep him for one more year, his current dead cap for 2023 is seven and a half million. So that 11.25 isn't base salary. That's signing an option bonus from 2020 and 2021. So I don't think there's really a route where it works out for him um, in Cleveland, unless they just keep, they would just keep him straight at the nine and a half. Um, base salary and then do it that way so yeah if he's staying I think it's just as and when um on his current deal I don't think they would rework or restructure that gotcha and it's one of those things where you look and obviously Hooper and Baker are very close obviously Hooper is one that the front office valued in that first tranche of free agencies when they came in so there is probably a little bit of connection and with Stefanski and his offense if there was a team that could you know, and say they get Najoku's contract worked where it's a very small cap hit this year and then moving money into the future. Now my tight end and tight end one and two combines for say 14 million, 15 million combined. Now it doesn't look so bad. So there is always that possibility. Like I said, I didn't think that the, it was doom and gloom once we saw that franchise tag come through on Najoku, just because to your point earlier, it was something I think a lot of us expected. Yeah. And I think, um, I did a potential David Njoku extensionist on Twitter. If you want to go find it, day um, 5 p.m. UK time. So what's that? Uh, midday Eastern, um, March 7th. Um, that's got his first year number at 4 million. You can get it that low um, if you do an extension. And we're talking 50 million, four years. Um, obviously, it'd be the same as the Hooper way you, if you're going to go cut him. Down the line, there's going to be some money there. But if you need that space, you can go get it. So um, certainly want to keep an eye on. Gotcha. So, Paul, what is what is your take? Do you think the Browns – obviously, you've been a, a big David Njoku fan, you know, since we drafted him. Are you, Would you be happy with the Browns going into the next season with both Hooper and Njoku? Um. Uh, and Harris Bryan, yeah? Yes, Harrison Bryan's guaranteed. I would personally like it to be to cut a bit of money, 
stay and Juku and uh, Harris Bright uh, get them boys get them boys more a place and have a, a free agent as a tight end three basically. So oh, you, sorry, you undrafted free agent, yeah. Oh, bold bold strategy going with the Paul Brown UDFA special. The tight end position. It's unique because, you know, we obviously saw the Browns using such a large uh, percentage of per, uh, 13 personnel last year. I don't think that continues. So to Paul's point, they may value Harrison Bryant as an up-and-coming tight end too. Yep. So, no, I, I think it's certainly a strong case that if they do want to invest more in wide receivers and give more snaps to that position, then Harrison Bryant's perfectly fine as a two. And then you can draft a guy like um, Daniel Bellinger, who I think would be a great day three pick and won't get too much into draft this early, but you can add someone there. Um, if they do want two tight end slots, hey, I'm going to keep banging the drum for OJ Howard. I think it's just a massive upside move. But if you extend David Njoku pre-free agency, hey, someone like OJ Howard, it's less of a an ideal landing spot then because... Yes, it's a prove-it deal, but it's a prove-it deal to then go elsewhere. You Unlikely, he comes in on a prove-it deal, smashes it, and then gets extended here as well. There is an outside chance, but you're more likely to then go and cash in as a tight end one somewhere else through that. So, yeah. you got to remember, Harrison Bryan is a, coming to his third year, you know, and he's only got four years. So um, I would like it to be... And Juku Harrison and a uh, undrafted free agent, but that's my strategy anyway. But we know that we know that Stefan likes two good tight ends, doesn't he? Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's how high they are on Harrison Bryant. We just really don't know. Next up, we had world colliding Browns news. Tony Grossi fell off his chair when it broke. It was that. Um, insane. And that was the decision for them to let Andy Janovich, the fullback legend, the the missile, the weapon, whatever you want to call him, um, go. Just a really, really good special teamers, if we're going to be honest. Um, look, I think Ian's a bigger fan than myself of, of him. Uh, I know he was a Browns cult hero. I don't know how many touchdowns he got. Was it just the one? Uh, I think it was Johnny Stanton that oh. came in as his replacement that got the touchdowns. Oh, awkward, awkward. But yeah. Um... I thought Janovich might have got one in his time. He, he, get, he get He's Googling. just a dude. <laughs> At the end of the day, lots of people get really upset that the Browns roster a fullback. And it's like, how often does your running back four play? Literally nothing. Um, how often does your tight end four play? Literally nothing. Um, if we go back to the 2020 season, Dontrell Hilliard and Stefan Carlson, they were barely on the field. So you're looking effectively at special teams play and stuff like that. So for me, it doesn't bother me um, having a fullback on the roster. I think you're looking at Johnny Stanton's obviously the favorite because he's under contract. And the only fullback left on the roster. Um, another guy that's intriguing, and I do love stealing players off of um, divisional rivals, the Ravens 
Um, Picard. I'm, I want to get just as Jack's doing a bit of googling at the moment. I would like to uh, let everyone know that I was correct. Uh, Andy Janovic did get a touchdown last year against the Texas. Love that. It's Patrick Ricard was the uh, guy that I wanted. So he's, he's Baltimore's fullback, but he does a bit more than fullback. He's uh, a bit heavier than um, Janovic. So he can line up as a tight end, um, could even do some little slot stuff. Um, great run blocker. Um, I just think he's a diverse all-round weapon that someone like Stefanski could find a role for. So it's just an interesting one to note that I, I think that could be a player on their cards, but they could just be really happy with Johnny Stanton. And and we even discussed it on the podcast when um, Janovic went on the COVID list, Johnny Stanton came in, scored a touchdown, and we said, is this the point where Janovic is a free agent? Because they go, hey, we don't want to risk exposing Johnny Stanton back to waivers, but they did make that decision, and um, that's where they're at. Ian Wright was just too caught up in the thought of cutting Janovic. Um, any last words on that, Ian? We've had a little bit of a discussion. Yeah, I think the uh, the Wi-Fi signal out here said, oh, Brown's talking in Pennsylvania, and they just booted me for a minute. Like, what is going on here? So, Janovic, you know me, I'm Johnny Football all the way. I do like Janovich's beard, though. It's a fantastic beard. I'm sad to see that go. What about well, Patrick Ricard? Thanks a lot for your um, cosmetic view on a fullback. Um, anything on the field that you want to discuss about his performance? I think we all expected when we acquired Janovich to see a little bit more from him in terms of utilization. And then he kind of just really mainly became just a special teams player. So he was only, you know, his snaps on offense were limited. We didn't have some big power master running game because of our fullback. You know, he'd have a catch every once in a while, but I just don't think he was making the impact we all thought he would when we acquired him for what, a conditional seventh or whatever it was. So it, it makes more sense, I think, that they kind of want to go with more of your H-back, fullback, maybe somebody that can do a little bit more. And then maybe they have a linebacker, you know, maybe like Tony Fields or something like that that's going to pick up his special teams role. Yep. So lastly, there was three exclusive rights free agents signed. We'll do the three that weren't signed afterwards, but the three that were signed was wide receiver Jamarcus Bradley, um, interior O lineman Blake Hans, interior O lineman Michael Dunn. Um, for me, I think Dunn's got the best shot of making the roster. Um, I could easily see him as the backup center if they uh, promote Nick Harris and move on from Tretter. Um, and then... He could even be there as the third choice guard. So I think Dunn for me has got the best chance of making the roster. And then Hans backed up. Bradley just looks destined for the practice squad, most likely. Who knows, eh? You know, we've been here so many times. There's too many wide receivers in the Browns roster. Week three. Marcus Bradley starting as our W1, you know? If, if they can get their hands on Donovan West in the draft, then that could be a really intriguing one that pushes um, Michael Dunn potentially to the practice squad or off the roster. 
to Paul's point, I mean, what was it that Jets game where Jamarcus Bradley was our wide receiver one? Here's the thing I kind of like about Bradley. We've talked about him a little bit. He's shown he can make a play. You know, he made that nice sideline catch last year. The guy shows that he has some talent. So I have no problem bringing him into camp. And listen, if he outperforms Donovan Peoples-Jones, would anybody be that surprised? I mean, we saw Donovan Peoples-Jones. We all like what he could be. But if Jamarcus Bradley puts everything in and comes out and balls out in camp, I could realistically see him taking Donovan Peoples-Jones' spot. That's not unheard of. Yeah, and anything can happen, especially... It's a long shot. They're, they're just going to cycle through guys and see who uh, picks up. Yeah, I, I think that those three guys, I, I all am big fans of having back. I think Hans still has a little practice time or practice squad eligibility, even under the new conditions that they're modifying. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, Jack, but the practice squad, I think, is going from, what, 17 down to 14? Yeah. So, so those three spots. That's there. Um, the IR rules, I loved the IR rules that you could keep bringing people back and forth. Players didn't was sort no of the more. vibe that it hurt their money, which I fully understand. So um, the idea of dropping and bringing people back from IR is dead as a dodo. So... To touch yeah, on, and listen, I think we just like maximum roster flexibility, and that's what that was. So, but I understand both sides. So, the three dudes that they could still get an exclusive rights tender, but I think the fact they haven't probably says they're not gonna. And that's running back Dexter Williams, safety Montreal Meander, and defensive tackle Malik McDowell. That third one is no surprise to anyone that's seen uh, what's happened, but um. Those three guys are probably moving on to do something else. There was an Achilles injury um, middle of the season for Meander, so that's probably linked into why he's not coming back. Um, could be one mid-season where they pop on a practice squad once he's healthy, though. I yeah, feel like I Montreal Meander's had more lives than cats. <laughs> yeah. Now, the one everybody's talking about, did you touch on it, Dearness Johnson? No, we no. haven't touched on Dearness Johnson. He's, so he's the one that everybody's talking about. So just on his deal, um, put out a tweet today. There's a good chance he's going to get tendered um, at 2.433 million. I think it's that rather than 2.443. It's one way around. Um, that doesn't mean he's guaranteed or anything coming back. Um, it's non-guaranteed money. They could do what they did to Hodge and just cut him anywhere in camp. Um, it just then gives them a really nice window where they can go, do we want to, can we trade Hunt, which is 6.25 million, which is the 11th most expensive running back next year um, in the league and the most expensive veteran backups, 2 million. So it's um, a big outlier in terms of money. Um, or the other thing is they can go find a trade market for Deonis Johnson. Another team obviously could bid on him, but they could look to move him. They might only get like a conditional seventh um, or sixth or seventh based on him making the roster, but that could easily be something that they see what happens. And another chance is that they keep him around for a little while. One of the three backs gets injured. They pop someone on IR and they've instantly got a backup. Yeah, I think we talked about this a little bit. I, I still have no problem with the combined salaries of Chubb and Hunt being that of Joe Mixon. 
I think it's kind of a 1A, 1B. I know you, you can say vet backup. We'll agree to disagree there. But I'm also not going to pretend that Dearness Johnson is some transcendent talent, right? I think that if the Browns, with the way they execute, can find a one-cut hard runner, you could probably find a Paul Brown special, find a UDFA, a guy that can come in. I'm not sure I would utilize $2.4 million obviously on Dearness Johnson. Now, ironically enough, those three combined are still less than Kamara and McCaffrey and all those guys. So it's not crazy to think about, but I think Dearness Johnson's a guy I think we like, we saw him play, but I do think that he would have a market elsewhere. I just think that if you're looking for a backup rotational running back, if the Browns coaching staff's worth their salt, they'll be able to find a guy at a much cheaper rate than that. Yeah, yeah no, I, dis- I kind of disagree. Um, I'm a big fan of the Ernest, and I fully understand we have to be more uh, cautious on what m- money we're spending, and we can't just have all these expensive, you know, pieces. We need some more value pieces. But the Ernest Johnson, for me, I think he's a talented guy for two million. I think it's a no-brainer bringing him back. But yes, I fully respect that we should be having a 600k undrafted free agent as our third running back. Yeah, and no, I think just because he gets tagged doesn't mean he's coming back. I think it just gives them options, time, and a wider discussion. And that's why I think it just makes the most sense for them. Um, because, yeah, they'll probably find a trade market. They can tender him and trade him um the same day so i've got until the 15th of march i believe on that one so um no real hurry yet we've got a full week to go lots of moving and shaking any it's great it's great i'm just super excited to be talking about the browns again it's been a bit quiet guys did any of you two spend a lot of time watching the draft this week i know we don't want to go into it in this podcast but did you spend a lot of time? Uh, I really don't care for the combine. Um, other than I love Ma- at MathBomb on Twitter. Ken Lee Platt does all the relative athletic scores. Um, so I love all that stuff. I've taken all that data. Go find my Twitter account um, at Jake Duffin. It's got the whole draft board. What a guy's age and um, athletic profile, height profile, weight profile that match the Browns, don't match the Browns. Um, loads of great stuff in there. So uh if you want to know what the Browns are looking at with the draft board, it sets you up nicely. Nice. I watched Andy, a little bit of it. it. I, yeah, I watched a little bit of it. Not a ton. I watched a little bit of the wideouts. I watched a little bit of the edges. Um, I, you know, I have a bigger topic of conversation. I think, Jack, we can maybe put that on a show one time regarding my thoughts and opinions on how the combine's done. Like, why are D-tackles running 40-yard dashes? Like, no offense. I, I, if my D-tackle's running 40 yards, he's better be scoring a touchdown or else we're in serious trouble. So, but yeah, I watched a little bit of it. It's always good to get familiar with the names. Um, and I think, to Jack's point, there is an athletic profile of a guy that fits the mold of what we're looking for, and it's a good chance to see what that could be. But no, we're, we're a week away now. Um, we get into the second half of next week and free agency is go, go, go. Um, and that is my favorite week of the year in terms of the NFL no way. calendar. Oh, without a doubt. No way. Come on. G- give me. Well, we'll the, do what? The, the week of free agency versus the week of the draft versus any week of the NFL season. It's like, yeah, all day long. Come on. Well, we'll give a little third day of the draft is the best day of 
uh, is the best day. You got the third round picks, then you got undrafted free agents. That's got to be the best day of NFL. Seriously. Knackered. I mean, it's where careers can get made. All right, guys. Anything else you want to discuss with the Browns? You know, we're a Browns podcast. I want to focus on the Browns first. That's uh, it. For Jack, me. you want to tease our show for later this week? Um, so the plans to have Ian present his uh, sort of mock free agency. Fingers nah. crossed nothing else massive happens because if that does, then we'll keep moving it back a bit. Um, but we will get there before free agency starts. There it is. We're going to spend responsibly. We're financially responsible GMs here on this podcast. Hey, I, I'm probably the biggest voice in spend, spend, spend at wide receiver in terms of the whole of Brown's Twitter. It's uh, a place I never thought I'd be. You and Calvin Ridley both. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gambling on that anyway. So, um, last six minutes, um, Ian's in the middle of nowhere. Jack, whereabouts in the world are you at the moment? In sunny old Essex, just outside London. Well, I'm back in London after coming back from the Ukraine border. And uh, I've got to say, it was an emotional roller coaster. Um, a lot of people, uh, a lot of res- refugees, uh, a couple of real tear, teary moments. But um, yeah, really good experience. Nice to help out some people. And uh, hopefully we'll go back out there again next week if I can make some time. But I'll probably go this time into Ukraine. I know it's a bit scary, but I'm going to get the body, the, the bullet stuff get all kitted out and uh, go across. If any of our listeners has got any bulletproof vests or the hats, a spare, please do let us know because I'm trying to buy one at the moment and they're all sold out because of U- Ukraine. Did you uh, Did you give any Browns memorabilia to the uh, the Ukrainian a couple that you drove from the border? No. Do we have I'm international quite... Ukrainian Browns fans? No, I'm very selfish. I'm not going to give away any of my Browns gear. Um. <laughs> Yeah, if it was a 2017 Browns jersey, then maybe. But um, yeah, none of my retro stuff's leaving. Sorry. Um, Ukraine's not really into American football. But an interesting fact was I did meet a Browns fan um, when I was helping out the um, the uh, refugees. He's from, I can't remember his name, but he's from Rocky Road. And Rocky, Rocky River. River. Rocky River, that's the place, yeah. Not the, not the ice cream? No. So, yeah, I met him and uh, he came up to me and goes, Browns. And I went, way from? And he said, Rocky River. So I was like, wicked. There he is, the international man of ministry. So, um, Paul, on, I know on your Twitter, there's links for people to go and donate. What's your, not Twitter, um, Instagram? Where can people find that to help out? Because uh, you're obviously yeah, sure. on the ground. If you go to my last five posts, uh, you should be able to find it. If you're a little bit savvy, uh, you should be able to find the link quite easy. So if you want to give money, guys, um, don't give it to the big charities. They're, they're a nightmare. Um, go through like the stuff where Paul's going, where it goes directly to people on the ground who are able to help out. So... Um, no. Yeah, 100% of the money goes to refugees um, and it will never change. That's my little thing with the uh, with the charity. Um, last three minutes, 
guys, anything else you want to say before we finish this podcast? Um, if I had to guess what's happening at 13, I've got three options left on my, my board. Jameson Williams, wide receiver, edge defender, Carl Office, trade down. I'm down to three guys. Um, I'm out on Walker. Pass rush stats are not good enough. Wow. The only thing I would say, because I, I still am in on Walker, I have no problem drafting a 21-year-old that is that lump of a clay because you know what I can do? I can pair him up with Miles Garrett and say, Miles, why don't you teach this guy a couple things? When they're young like that, Jack, they can really develop. I mean, you look at, like, the guy from Penn State, Jason Oway, who now goes by a different name. His last year at Penn State, zero sacks. Oh, he doesn't have the pass rush moves. Comes into the NFL and can make an instant impact in the right scheme. I have had a man crush on Karloftis for the longest. It is warmth and glory to my heart to see all of these people coming around to the edge side of things at 13. And it just makes the most sense to me. We have to get young at that D-line. And having a DN2 at $3.5 million when the depth of the wide receiver core, so many people arguing about who's wide receiver one, who's two, who's three. That means that wide receiver six or seven that we can get in round two has the same damn chance. I have no problem with going edge in the first, then wide receiver in the second. And if they take either Trevon Walker or George Karloftis, I will be one happy man. But to your point, I think if they trade back, Jamison Williams, I think then comes into play. Garrett Wilson, I know he's the fan favorite. He's 0.1. So he that's so all those people out there. That means he is one month and two weeks outside of Jack's guardrail. Six weeks. So if his parents would have birthed him six weeks earlier, he'd be within Jack's guardrails. <laughs> Guys, real quick question. Do you think Garrett Wilson will be there at 13? I say no. Uh, no. But on Carl Office, who obviously is uh, Ian's man crush, um, lots of talk at the Combine that he, he might slide uh, because NFL teams aren't quite as high on him as media. Um, so there's talks that he could be there sort of second half of the first round. Um, just something interesting to um, keep an eye on. But hey, the Browns could easily stop that potential slide at 13. Um, but it's just one to uh, keep an eye on there. Here's the thing, Jack, though, because uh, we saw the same report about Stingley. Okay, anything you hear from the combine, the top guys fall and the guys in the back rise. It, it's always this little game of cat and mouse. So I would always encourage people to be very careful on what you hear and believe during the combine because there's a lot of alcohol being consumed, a lot of shrimp cocktail. I, I've been at these type of events with NFLs. A lot of it is just plug and play. A team may really, really love Karloftis at 11, and they're like, oh, he's going to slide, he's going to slide, knowing that that's what they want people to think. But then they take him at 11. You, you hear it every year with guys. And the idea that Stingley's going to fall into the 20s is absolutely ludicrous. <laughs> <laughs>